Thank you, Becky. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of warning about persecution that Christians have faced for 2,000 years and continue to do all across the world. I ask that you would make us wise and innocent today with these words, that you would reveal how Jesus is the ultimate wise and innocent one whom we need to put our trust and hope in, uh, in a difficult and troubling world. Uh, And I pray that you would lead us to glorify him and to worship him because of all that he's done for us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you. My name's Lawson, the lead pastor here at City Reach Marion. If I haven't met you, love to do so afterwards over a coffee. We're going through a series through the book of Matthew, uh, and we're particularly at a point where Jesus is teaching his disciples about what things will be like when they go out announcing the kingdom of God. Jesus shifts from the present tense Uh, last week to the future tense. He's saying what things will be like for those that will continue to proclaim the kingdom of God and the good news about Jesus in future generations. And he does that this week regarding persecution. You may know that Christians have been beaten, arrested and even killed all across the world for their faith for a very long time, for Uh, even since the first century, and only years after these words were spoken by Jesus did they begin to come true. And so there's two things I want to do with you this morning, and that's for the Christians here. I want to help you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as Jesus says. Now, they're kind of strange words because wisdom and serpents, we Uh, don't usually hold those two things together because we think serpents equals Satan and therefore serpent equals bad. But strangely, Jesus uses wise as serpents in this context. Uh, And he is saying that Christians are to respond in the world that we're living in with uh, a sense of wisdom to the way things are. I looked up this word in the Greek throughout the rest of the Bible and it has the sense of faithfulness, or good stewardship. We are to be wise with the gift that God has given us, the good news that he wants us to share, the hope of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. Now, the word that Jesus uses here is innocent as doves. Now, doves are actually well known in our context as a creature that is innocent. They're white. They seem to be pure. They're used as a sacrifice in the Old Testament. uh, Their blood will be spilled to cover the sin of people. And one thing I want you to have is that same sense of innocence or integrity when it comes to your approach to sharing the hope that you have in Jesus. And one person uh, in history who really reminds me of holding these two things together is a guy called John Bunyan. John Bunyan was uh, recorded to have written the first ever novel, which is the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, for some of you who know that. The first ever novel. If you want to go out and read it, I encourage you to do so. It is excellent. Uh, it's written in Old English, so it's a little bit hard to understand. It takes a little while, but it's an excellent book. Uh, John Bunyan wrote that while he was imprisoned for sharing the hope that he has in Jesus and preaching the gospel with others. And he was uh, in prison a couple of times. The first time for 12 years uh, as his uh, 
wife and four young children were trying to look after themselves. And every time that they said that they were willing to release him, he would get up and say, if you let me out today, I will preach again tomorrow. Because he had this combination of innocence, that is integrity. And he said, well, if you let me out, I'm just going to keep on preaching. And so they kept him in. Uh, But he also had a wisdom that he trusted that God would look after him and his family in some of the most difficult uh, prison systems the world has seen. The prisons were not nice uh, in the 16th century when, sorry, 17th century when John Bunyan was around. Uh, And so he had to trust God with both this sense of having an innocence and a wisdom about sharing his faith. And so as we come to this text for today, persecution may not be familiar for you at all. Uh, many people in Australia don't get persecuted for their faith, or they do, but in minor ways. And yet, as we look around the world, even today, people are dying for their faith uh, in many countries where Christianity is uh, rejected uh, by many and even opposed uh, out, outright so that you can be arrested, beaten and killed for the faith. So I want to give you this wisdom and innocence from Jesus. And I also want to explain to those who are maybe a bit curious about the Christian faith. Um, one of the things that we do here is we're open to anyone to come along. And if you're curious about the Christian faith or you're sort of a bit unsure about how all these things fit together, I want to give you some answers as to why Christians would be willing to die for the faith and why it's different to other religions that also would have the same point of view. So with those uh, two things in mind, those two aims, uh, I'm going to first answer four, so give you four questions that the text answers for Christians regarding persecution. And the assumption here is that you will get persecuted if you are a faithful and evangelistic Christian. So if you're a faithful Christian, that is, you believe God's word and you're willing then to believe in Jesus and live your life in accordance with his word and share the hope that you have in Jesus with others, then the promise here is that you will be persecuted. And so that is the underlying assumption that we come to today. So the first question that the text answers for us today regarding persecution is this, who should we expect persecution from? Who should Christians expect persecution from? And the text gives a really clear answer in verse 17, beware of men. That is people. Other people will persecute Christians. They will do it. They've been doing it for a very long time and they will continue to do it. And it gives us four types of people or situations where Christians will be persecuted. In verse 17, uh, this, it explains that beware of men who will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. These are religious people who will persecute you. This reminds me uh, of my dad who used to have a church in a pub back in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and he used to get hate mail from Christians uh, because having a church in a pub was not seen as a good and holy thing to do. And so the people that decided to uh, send in this hate mail uh, were the Christians, oddly enough, who thought that it was uh, denigrating uh, for a Christian to be amongst sinners. Although, strangely enough, that's what Jesus did too. So that's the first sort of person that would 
uh, persecute people, as religious people. The second is the courts. So uh, you see in the text that these people that we're to be or beware of are religious people, and they also happen to take you to courts. Now, in the first century, uh, there was a religious court where you would, could be taken, you could be tried and found guilty. And if it was serious enough under Jewish law, you could be, uh, have capital punishment or killed. And actually, throughout church history, it has been those from within that have often been those that persecute other Christians. And the ones that often get persecuted are the ones who are faithful and evangelistic. Those that want outsiders to hear the hope they have in Jesus and those that are trying to be faithful to God's word. The third group that we should expect persecution from is family. Family. The text says here uh, that brother, verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, children rise against parents and have them put to death. And so it is that your family may oppose you or may even oppose you now. And it doesn't happen so much in Australia, but in other countries, if you convert to Christianity, uh, there's a thing called an honour killing where your family is honour-bound to execute you to retain the honour in that family if you convert to Christianity. And fourthly, Who should we expect persecution from? The text says in verse 22 that you will be hated by all. And so there is a general opposition by the world to those who are faithful and evangelistic. So you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, he's not selling Christianity really well, is he? You know, you should expect uh, persecution from religious people, religious courts, your family, and you'll be hated by everyone. It's interesting that Jesus gives us this very upfront, this very upfront reason uh, to be careful, because this is what the world will be like. Jesus is encouraging us to be wise to the ways of this world. So that's the first question that Jesus answers: Who should we expect persecution from? The second question that Jesus answers is: How long should we endure persecution? So verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. So the question is, how long should we endure persecution? Now, I said that Christians don't get much persecution these days, but they do get a bit. And at least in Australia, they do get a little bit, but not probably to the point of beating or death. But I can imagine certain situations where Christians would be persecuted by their family. People always making those comments that you look forward to at family events about you having the Christian faith and calling you a God-botherer or some sort of words to that effect. Or perhaps probably more common in the workplace, maybe you're on the work site and your friends know, your work friends know that you're a Christian. They like to give it to you every week. You can imagine that week after week, the relentless abuse that you may get for being a Christian would get tiring. And so the question is, how long should we endure persecution? How long should we endure it? I think an example that comes to mind for me is when I was uh, doing basic training in the army in rural New South Wales. Uh, I used to, we used to have a little bit of free time each evening. And so I'd sit down and read my Bible for about a half hour of free time each evening. And eventually my 
to uh, friends who were in the same uh, dormitory as me, cottoned on that I was a Christian. And so they started to get stuck in week after week, day after day about me being a Christian. And, you know, it would sort of extend to sort of the dirty jokes that were very, you know, unsettling for me, as you could imagine. But eventually, one of them said, oh, what are you reading? And I was like, well, let me read it to you. And so I started reading the Bible to this friend and then uh, this sort of person I was in the same dorm with and then his other friend came along and said, oh, well, let's, let's all sit down. And then some more came. And so after a few weeks, it turned from them relentlessly uh, getting stuck into me for being a Christian to having a Bible study with a dozen or so army boys, uh, which was very interesting. And so God can turn things around. And that tells me something that uh, is important, that we shouldn't be so quick to flee when it comes to persecution. We should not be so quick to flee when it comes to persecution. The text here says uh, that when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. The implication is they're hurting you physically, there's physical violence involved or threats of death. And so we need to take this then in its context and realise that well, our persecution in the context of Australia is not that bad in comparison to this. And so we need to ask ourselves a few questions then about whether we should move on. That is from a friendship circle or spend less time with a particular family group or move on from a workplace situation where we are feeling persecuted. There's three questions we need to ask. The first question is, have we witnessed to everyone in that workplace? As I was explaining to someone earlier this week, uh, there's two things that God does for Christians when you're in a workplace. One is he uses your employment to bring him glory. The other is he uses you to share the hope that you have with Jesus with the people in that workplace. And there are two callings that you have on your life as a Christian. The second one is important in this context. Have you witnessed to all the people in your workplace? If you haven't, maybe God is keeping you there on that assignment. I remember my father-in-law told me, that he used to uh, work in sawmills in uh, country New Zealand. And every time that he was able to share his faith with each person in that sawmill, he'd get a job opportunity somewhere else and move on. And this happened seven times in seven different sawmills, that he would have the opportunity to share the hope that he had in Jesus with every person in that sawmill, and then an opportunity would come and he would be moved on. So ask yourself, have you witnessed to all the people in that workplace Secondly, are you moving for the sake of the mission? If you're in a work situation or perhaps a family situation or a friendship situation uh, where things are uncomfortable because people are harassing you because of your Christian faith, which does happen, uh, then you need to ask yourself the question, are you willing to move on for the sake of God's mission, to go somewhere else so that you may be harassed again but also have the opportunity and hope to share your faith in Jesus? And thirdly, you need to ask yourself the question, are you easily offended? I think this is the most common one. We need to have a thick skin as Christians. You need to be able to wear it when people call you out for being a Christian, call you all sorts of names, call God all sorts of names. You need to be able to wear it and have a thick skin. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.11, it's to the, to the glory of man to overlook an offence. 
Perhaps God has placed you in that very workplace, that very family situation, that very friendship group, that very school group, whatever situation you're in in life, for the sake of those people. And you may not know it in your time there. It may be a terrible experience. It might be 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the track that they think about those words that you shared, that hope that you shared, that faith that you had, and that God might have used you in that context. And so we should... Not be quick to jump ship. The third question that the text answers regarding persecution for Christians is, will we be vindicated if we endure persecution? Will we be vindicated if we endure persecution? So verses 26 and 27 say, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. Do not fear. One of the primary concerns that Christians have regarding persecution is fear itself. Fear that we'll be hurt. Fear that we'll be excluded. Fear that our status will be reduced amongst our friends. Fear that we won't get a career advancement if people find out I'm a Christian. Fear that I might lose my job if I'm a little bit more overt about my faith. I'm going to be careful because there's some work context where we're not allowed to share our faith. And yet I think too often we err too much on the side of caution rather than on the side of trusting Jesus. Now I want to be careful with that, just that last point. I think too much we err on the side of caution and not on the side of sharing the faith and hope we have in Jesus. So, will we be vindicated if we endure persecution? That is, if you're persecuted by your family, by your friends, by the general public, Christians feel it a little bit perhaps at the moment in our current cultural climate that they've been uh, persecuted, or perhaps in your workplace, will you be vindicated? Will it be worth it in the end? This is, of course, a justice question. Will God judge rightly on the last day? And the answer in the text here is that we should, not have, no, we should have no fear. Why? Because God the great judge will reveal everything that's hidden. For God the great judge will reveal everything that is hidden. Every motive, every act, everything that is done to you because you're a Christian will be revealed by the great judge of all the earth. And so the application here then is that a fear of God leads to bold evangelism. But a fear of man leads to no evangelism. And so if you are someone who struggles to share the hope that you have in Jesus, I want you to consider why it is that you have that. Is it a sense of fear underneath? Because I think the word today says that it probably is. If you were to be honest before God, is it a sense of fear that you have for sharing the hope that you have in Jesus? Because the text here reminds us, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Meaning, God the great judge if he is on your side, you have nothing to fear. 
And if you have a holy, reverent fear for God, if you trust Him deeply, then the fear of man will just disappear and fall away. And you'll be someone who, like the text says, can shout it from the housetops. What's the implication in the text? That if you trust God, if you trust that you'll be vindicated on the last day, if you trust that God, the perfect judge, will judge rightly, then you can have confidence to boldly share your faith with other people. Jesus even goes so far to say, shout it from the housetops. Now, of course, I don't think I'd get very far if I was shouting from my housetop. But in the first century, that's how you got attention from people. If you wanted to get a crowd, you'd start shouting from the housetop. Again, Jesus is doing two things. He's telling us to beware that you will be persecuted. And yet he's saying you need to be bold at the same time. You need to have integrity with the way you do things, yet you need to be loud about it. Not obnoxious, but you want to let the people in your life know that you're a Christian and why you have the hope that you do. So that's the third question the text answers about persecution. And the fourth question that the text answers is this, will we be protected by God when we're persecuted? Will we be protected by God when we're persecuted? And the answer in the text is yes, your heavenly Father will care for you. And he gives two examples. The first one in verse 29 is about sparrows. Little birds. These sparrows aren't worth much. You can get two for a penny. It's pretty cheap. You can get sparrows. And it says later that he values you more than many sparrows. And not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father knowing about it. What does that mean? That means if God cares for little birds and not one would fall to the ground apart from him knowing about it and allowing it, then God will care for you so much more. For you are made in his image and you are one of his people. And so you can trust your heavenly Father's care. The second point uh, that Jesus makes here, the second example that Jesus makes here is about hair. And he says, don't you know that the hairs of your head are all numbered? He knows every detail about you. I mean, who, like, does anyone really want to know the number of hairs on their head? No one cares about that detail, but God does. Jesus cares about it. He cares about the most intricate details about you and this tells us he knows you better than you know yourself. And so if he cares for little birds and if he knows every detail about you more than you would ever know about yourself, then how much more will he care for you? This tells us something. This tells us that... God the Father will not allow one effort for him to go amiss, even unto death. That God the Father will not allow one effort for him to go amiss, even unto death. In any context or situation that you're in. 
Some of us here from countries where persecution is much more outright, and so you know very well what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced minor forms of persecution this week. And we may well, who knows the direction that our society is going on and into, we may well experience far more heavy-duty persecution in the years and decades to come as Christians. But Jesus is saying here that he will not let one effort go amiss if you trust in his care. A Chinese pastor told a story uh, this week in our staff meeting about um, a group of people in a certain place in China who had a a bit of a a training centre for uh, missionaries and Christian workers. And the name of the training centre was the Field of Blood. Not a great name, you can imagine. You come to church and it's called the Field of Blood Church. You'd be a bit worried as you turn up if something's going to happen. But he said the most interesting thing was in the name. And the name came about because before the Boxer Rebellion, which was about 1899 to 1901, when many missionaries were killed, uh, there was a big evangelistic work happening in China. Lots of missionaries, particularly from England, uh, went into China, learnt the language, uh, became essentially as locals and began to share the hope and faith that they have in Jesus in that country. But then there was an uprising uh, called the Boxer Rebellion and during that time, um, a number of Christian missionaries were killed, including in this particular place. And it was in that field that uh, two couples, two Christian couples, were killed because they were sharing the faith and the hope that they had in Jesus in that country. So around that time, uh, there had been about 10 converts in that region. And so, uh, as it turned out, the uh, Chinese government uh, gave compensation uh, after the rebellion was over, compensation to the families of those Workers And those workers, the families decided not to uh, take that money, but to send that money back into China to build a missionary training centre on that site. And so uh, it was more than 100 years later when uh, Samuel went to that place, uh, to that site, uh, to uh, visit and went up to preach there uh, to, sh- to do some training with some of the people. And he was talking to the guy who manages it And he was saying, now, a hundred years later, there are more than 100,000 Christians in that particular region, having been only 10 when those missionaries were killed. And therefore, they call it the field of blood with good reason. Because God uses these little efforts for great good. He uses the blood that's spilt to bring about great hope. And so now I want to tell you how Jesus himself answers this great question of persecution for us. Because you might be here today, and I think for myself today as well, that I'd be a little bit worried if the persecution lifted to that kind of level. How can we, like Jesus has asked us to, have great wisdom and great innocence when it comes to the persecutions that we might face? And the answer is in Jesus and the gospel himself. In our first question, we saw those that we should expect persecution from. And Jesus was persecuted by them all. 
He was persecuted by his own people. He was taken to his own religious courts. He was, his own family said he is out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. And he was hated by all because they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so he truly is our perfect master and Lord. And we are not above our teacher. For he was the one who would do it first. In answer to the second question, how long should we endure persecution? Jesus preached to all. He moved from town to town, even under threat of his own life. He continued to share the hope of the eternal kingdom that he would bring in. And he endured it even unto death. His persecution resulted in him being put upon a Roman cross, unjustly tried and convicted, and put, a, put upon a Roman cross. And yet he did this. He endured this persecution so that we might have hope in his great power to endure suffering. And we might have hope to be freed from fear. Thirdly, will we be vindicated if we endure persecution? Jesus himself was vindicated because his performance was perfect. He was perfectly wise and perfectly innocent. And the Father demonstrated this by rising him from the dead. That he was, his offering and sacrifice was totally accepted by the Father as Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, we can have assurance that just as Jesus rose from the dead and was vindicated for every good work and the great work that he did for dying for sinners, that we too can find our hope in his perfect justice on the last day. And finally and fourthly, will we be protected by God? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave up his divine protection. But he wasn't killed outside of his own authority. John chapter 10 says, No one takes his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. That Jesus demonstrated his complete authority for himself and for us by willing to lay down his life in his own field of blood so that we might gain life through him. Not one hair of Jesus fell to the ground. No one drop of blood was spilled that did not count towards his people finding great hope in Jesus' persecution. And so if you want this to be true for you, if you don't want to be a person who is in fear of persecution, then you need to grasp these promises. Robert Murray Machaney talked about going to a well but not drinking the water. That you can go to the well, you can see the water, you can have the bucket, you can be prepared and have the strength to lower the bucket to get the water and yet not actually receive it. You can have all the knowledge about what you need and yet do nothing about it. You must drink from the well itself. And if you want to be a person, a Christian, a wise and innocent person who is faithfully willing to share that the hope that they have in Jesus, then you need to drink from this well. These promises that Jesus has made and fulfilled, these questions that Jesus has asked and also answered, you must take upon yourself. 
You must drink from this well. And no matter where you're at in your journey, spiritual journey, whether you're early or you've actually early on it, you're interested in Christianity or just thinking it through carefully for yourself, or whether you're a committed Christian believer, the offer is open to you. That you can come and drink and be satisfied by Him, and live a life without fear, live a life of hope and be willing to stand firm for your faith because Jesus stood firm for you. And so I'm going to pray now. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for the teaching that you've given us on persecution. I ask that you would help us to be wise and innocent, to be people who trust you, to be willing to give everything for you, for you gave everything for us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.